and welcome, Dennis Stewart. What are we talking about today? Jane, I thought we'd have another informational day, as we did a number of weeks ago. And I thought we'd try to summarise some of the topics and the ideas that we've been developing over the last number of weeks that we've been conducting the program. So I thought we'd look broadly at the topic of complementary medicine. Now, Dennis Stewart, you often use the term complementary when you're speaking about a range of therapies. Mm. What are you actually referring to? Mm. It's a very good question, Jane. Years and years ago, um, the term alternative medicine used to be used to refer to the practice of things such as herbal medicine, acupuncture, even chiropractic. Um, That term has largely been superseded, although not entirely, by the term complementary medicine because I think what's happened over the decades is that we realise that no one system of medicine has all the answers and those of us that used to refer to ourselves as alternative medicine practitioners now see ourselves more as complementing, that is working with, filling out, um, looking at some of the areas that mainstream medicine perhaps um, doesn't handle as well or hasn't got the time to handle. So complementary medicine is the way in which a number of uh, modalities largely outside of mainstream medicine, I've mentioned herbal medicine, acupuncture, homeopathy, those sorts of things, uh, work alongside of and increasingly work in conjunction with mainstream practitioners in addressing a whole range of problems that um, uh, respond to a complementary medicine approach. So you do see some of Mm. these different therapies working together with mainstream medicine? Oh, look, I think think that's the whole uh, thing that has happened in my 30-odd year of activity in, in complementary medicine that when I first started practicing and lecturing it, it was very uncommon to find acceptance, bridge building. Um, there was a lot of antagonism, a lot of criticism of um, these modalities about which I've spoken. I think a lot of it was largely as a result of ignorance on the part of the mainstream who perhaps didn't have enough insight into the principles, the history of some of the modalities. But I also think um, it was as a result of perhaps some of the arrogance and the rudeness of some perhaps in what was called the alternative medicine section who weren't interested necessarily in bridge building but who saw alternative medicine, if you like, uh, being, um, how can you call it, in opposition at times to the mainstream and reacting against perhaps some of the, uh, the, the basis of mainstream medicine as it was seen at that time. But, of course, that's largely changed. And over the years now we even find, Jane, even in this town, Uh, general practitioners who happily will embrace what I call complementary medicine, who use diet, who use lifestyle modification, uh, even use herbal medicine. Some even will use homeopathic medicine uh, to fill out their general practice training and modality. And indeed, some of those uh, mainstream practitioners have complementary therapists in their clinics working with them The term integrated medicine is a term today that's used to describe more of what I'm talking about, the integration of the mainstream or the integration perhaps of complementary modalities within the mainstream is something that uh, is taking place now. And has there been uh, some kind of course, educational type Mm. courses Mm. in some of these therapies? Has that increased over the years? I think this is the the big thing that has um, 
changed over the years. A good example of that would be uh, a number of years ago on the uh, Arimba campus of the University of Newcastle, uh, we conducted a Bachelor of Herbal Therapies program. And as far as I'm aware, that was the first time in this country that a university has taught a bachelor degree specialising in herbal therapies. And that had a lot to do with uh, men, um, professors, particularly um, emeritus professor Cliff Elliott, who um, lived on the Central Coast and became a great colleague of mine, a lovely man whom I speak dearly of. Uh, Cliff Elliott and other academics from the Arimba campus um, um, got together with me and, and saw the potential of teaching a program in herbal therapies there, and it got off the ground, and uh, we graduated, as far as I'm aware, the first group of um, bachelor uh, candidates and, and successful uh, bachelor degree um, students um, in herbal therapies. So that's a good example. But, of course, now you have other universities uh, in Australia. You have the um, um, University of Western Sydney. It uh, teaches Chinese medicine and um, acupuncture. Uh, you have multiple universities all around Australia now who are teaching um, aspects of complementary medicine, some specialising. I think um, Southern Cross University, I think it still teaches a bachelor's degree in naturopathy. I stand contradiction there. It, it did a number of years ago. But it's typical of the way in which something uh, that was pretty well despised and looked down on uh, you know, 30 years ago when I started um, is now um, in academia. Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And we're looking at complementary medicine, its background, its place. And uh, right now, Dennis Stewart, where do you see complementary medicine having the best effect, working the best? I've uh, given a lot of thought to this, Jane, and based on my own experience, uh, going back well over 30 years, I think I'm entitled to say that complementary medicine works best in what we'd, we would refer to as chronic disease, particularly chronic disease that, even though it is maybe primarily managed within the mainstream, is perhaps not doing as good as it could be and when, um, when it is, uh, how can I call it, when chronic disease is assisted, if you like, or treated with other modalities, even the benefits of mainstream medicine can sometimes come alive. I, I don't see uh, a role for complementary therapists, herbalists, homeopaths, acupuncturists, etc., in managing acute medical conditions. I think that's fraught with problems, and I think um, complementary therapists uh, do not have the training and experience to deal with the sort of acute conditions that general practitioners manage, and they manage it well. So the first thing I would like to say is that I see no role at all for complementary therapists other than working with those who, if you like, filter the conditions which are amenable for complementary medicine approaches. So chronic disease is one of the big things that we, we deal with, chronic respiratory problems. Um, it might surprise uh, listeners to know that even in something as intractable and as, as an incurable as, as say, emphysema, um, the sensible and selective use of appropriate herbs can see that condition sometimes remarkably stabilise. And I've seen that even in recent times with my 
experiments, not with my experiment, but with my continued application of one of my old favourite respiratory remedies known as Grindelia. Uh, But it's not only there, it's also in the area of of chronic skin diseases. Most general practitioners and uh, even dermatologists would acknowledge the intractable nature of conditions such as um, psoriasis and eczema. Uh, They're difficult conditions, but yet within complementary medicine, particularly in the area, say, of herbal medicine, uh, homeopathic medicine, nutritional medicine, even these conditions can sometimes respond outstandingly well. And in fact, my, uh, my whole history in complementary medicine is largely as a result of seeing, if you like, um, what was then alternative medicine helped resolve a decade of intractable eczema in my life. So it's in those sorts of conditions where patients are being managed by a general practitioner, maybe being managed by a specialist, but feel as though there is something else that can be done. So what I call chronic civilizational disease. It's a nice uh, little area to work in, and uh, one finds there's no room for offence there because, as I frequently say uh, in my lectures and my programs and to patients, uh, no one system of medicine has got all the answers. Uh, it's just that in the area of herbal medicine in particular, but not only herbal medicine, there are a few answers which are worthwhile trying uh, and uh, accessing, uh, as I said, for those conditions that um, uh, the mainstream battles with but doesn't perhaps do as well as what it could do. This is Health Naturally and Dennis Stewart giving us an insight into the background of complementary medicine and how it can work on to NURFM. And uh, Dennis, we've talked about some areas of medicine where uh, complementary medicine mm. has had really good results. Mm. Could you expand on some of the sure, examples sure. that you've seen? Look, uh, probably one of the most exciting and uh, um, encouraging areas where complementary medicine, if we call it that, works, but as far as I'm concerned, referring now to herbal medicine, is in the area of addressing infertility. Now, I know this might sound rather, um, how can I call it, um, surprising to some listeners uh, to hear that the way in which herbs address proven intractable infertility conditions in couples who have been desperately trying to conceive for many years, the way in which complementary medicine has demonstrated an ability to contradict uh, the pessimistic um, prognosis given to many couples who have failed after spending thousands of dollars uh, on modern technological approaches to conceive, the way in which herbal medicine has frequently contradicted this prognosis needs to be told. It's a story that one of these days, one of these days, when I get time, I will I will write and write a lot on because it's a fascinating journey all around the world to see people in virtually every continent of the world um, successfully harnessing my approach to treating infertility. And I'm talking of people in Pakistan, I'm talking of people, academics in the US... I'm talking about people in the United Kingdom, all of whom, after having spent many, many thousands of dollars, have found in the herbal medicine approach uh, a success that has changed their lives. I will 
speak and write about this one day more fully because unless people can actually see the documentation that I have, the clinical histories that I have, it's hard for them to believe. But when you have a couple spending tens of thousands of dollars uh, and then being told that um, they're not going to be able to fall pregnant, and Jane, let me emphasise with reference to infertility, I'm a great supporter of the modern technological approach, don't get me wrong here, but I guess what I'm saying is what disappoints me is that very frequently when couples do not succeed after many attempts and at great cost, after they have not succeeded in becoming pregnant, it is frequently said to them, well, um, you're not going to be able to fall pregnant because it's too late or you're too old or this and that. Um, Frequently, that medical advice I have proven to be wrong by couples uh, falling pregnant um, whose personal testimonies and whose case histories I have. So one of the most rewarding aspects of my 30-year history in the profession is with all its controversy and with all its battles, uh, one of the great pleasures is to is to see people who now come into my rooms, as happened at New Lambton only last week, who now come into their rooms with their very children that were conceived as a result of my treatment. And I had an interesting case only last Thursday where uh, a young woman presented with a similar history that her mother presented with many, many years ago. Her mother was unable to conceive and I treated her with herbs going way back uh, 25 years ago. And she conceived and the young lady that was in my room the other day was there for a similar treatment. It was quite uncanny, but it demonstrated, the uh, again, the regard that uh, many people have for using sensible, let me emphasise, sensible, well-documented and well-understood herbal medicine approaches for treating this condition of um, human infertility. It's a, a fascinating and lovely example of where this system of medicine works well and what I would like to see uh, more um, practitioners of um, of IVF, of uh, medical practitioners who specialise in promoting conception, I'd really like to see them look more seriously at some of the herbs that are used because many of those herbs are used overseas by medical practitioners who are much more um, open perhaps to use herbs than what Anglo uh, professionals are. Uh, Do, does the mm, use of these mm, herbs for this purpose, yeah. does that come from traditional uses it way does. back in... It does. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a very good question you've asked, Jane, for, for, for a number of reasons. One of the problems with uh, herbal medicine, if we see it as being, if you like, the flagship of complementary medicine, one of the problems of herbal medicine is that um, it is still largely based on tradition. Uh, increasingly, increasingly, uh, science is helping understand uh, herbal drug action, but the general practice of herbal medicine today is still very much based on tradition from the um, English-speaking world and the tradition that goes right back to the Greeks. Even the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, which I frequently refer to, a, a landmark in modern herbal medicine, uh, produced in the UK in 1983 by coming together of medical practitioners, pharmacists and, and, and British herbalists, even that document um, still draws very heavily 
on the traditional approach. And this has been uh, not an embarrassment to us, but this is perhaps one of the things that has, has caused us to cop a lot of criticism because, because our system still is strongly rooted in tradition, it is sometimes seen as unscientific. Well, it's not unscientific because if you use a herb and you see its benefits being replicated time and time again, uh, myself having been trained in science, as far as I'm concerned, that's a reasonable evidence for a scientific basis to it. So when we look at, say, infertility, uh, yes, yes, the, uh, the herbs we use are very strongly based on tradition. Uh, my formula for 30-odd years has worked around three leading uh, fertility remedies from, from North America, keeping in mind that English-speaking medicine is largely uh, based on a blend of European herbal medicine and the herbs of the New World, particularly the American continent. And out of the American continent have come three dramatic remedies um, uh, that, that, that we work with. Um, essentially, they're the three leading remedies uh, one of them is called Helonius, uh, frequently known, uh, interestingly, as false unicorn root. The other one is Elytris farinosa, commonly known as, as, as true unicorn root. And the, and the other one is called Dioscorea velosa, which is wild yam. And those three remedies, as my staff will tell you, who have dispensed my formulas for over 30 years, those three remedies are the backbone of a formula which then is filled out depending upon the individual's requirement. So, yes, in response to your question, a long-winded answer, um, herbal medicine for infertility is largely based on traditional understandings, increasingly understood scientifically, but that's where we're at as far as herbs generally. Health Naturally on 2NURFM for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And we're looking at complementary medicine. We've just taken a look at infertility and how herbs herbs can be used effectively to treat that. Um, Dennis Stewart, there are some other, other chronic um, conditions that mm. you think mm. that you've seen uh, good effects in. Uh, what about urinary tract infections? Mm. Well, the urinary tract is a problematical system at the best of times, both in male and female. But interestingly, it's a system that responds uh, disproportionately well, in my opinion, to, to natural medication, particularly herbs. And chronic urinary tract infections is something that has been shown to respond very nicely, uh, particularly to the application of what might be referred to as an older spectrum of herbs, and indeed a newer spectrum of herbal understanding. When I was training, uh, the two major herbs that were used to treat chronic urinary tract infections were the herbs Buku, B-U-C-H-U. Now, Buku uh, was then and still is a South African herb, and it has a particularly potent and noticeable aromatic oil within it. Very, very similar to, to peppermint. And when it is metabolized in the body, its metabolites are excreted via the kidneys across the urinary tract. And as a result of that, the action of buku is to provide an ongoing antiseptic um, or cleansing effect on the urinary system, which is not an antibiotic approach, but what it does is antiseptize the urinary system, if we use that word rather uh, simply. In other words, it antagonizes infection by 
assisting in developing, if you like, a hygienic environment in the urinary tract. Urologists will laugh at what I'm saying, but I hope the ordinary layperson understands what I'm saying. The other herb was the herb bearberry, also known as uveursi. It was always prescribed with buku uh, for addressing the same sort of condition. The two of them generally came together in a combination. And so for people that present to a herbal medicine practice who are very distressed at having to continually be on antibiotics, going from one urinary tract infection to another urinary tract infection, the use of a treatment based particularly on buku, but also, if possible, in conjunction with uveursi, very frequently that will be shown, not immediately, but over a number of weeks, a quietening down of the infection, which frequently sees the person being able to lessen their dependence on prescription medication, particularly the antibiotics. Now, that was good enough. That was great. And so gentlemen say with prostatitis conditions would benefit from that combination. Uh, Men and women experiencing urinary tract infections broadly, they would benefit from that. But in recent times, and to get back to what I was saying about a blend of old and new herbs, our modern understanding of cranberry has helped dramatically, again, in addressing chronic urinary tract infections. And I think, Jane, the thing that disappoints me is the information now, even in medical literature, the information on the net about the chemistry, the action and the possibilities of uh, cranberry, uh, it disappoints me that this is still not well understood by many general practitioners. I think it it shouldn't be, in my opinion... um, the role of a complementary therapist, a pharmacist or a health food store proprietor to introduce someone with a urinary tract infection to the potential of cranberry. In my opinion, that should be something that should be mentioned at the consultation with the general practitioner. Here, uh, go to your pharmacy or your health food store or your herbalist and pick up some cranberry, particularly in a modern, finished, concentrated form, and try that. I think that should be something that's done within the mainstream, and yet, unfortunately, it it hasn't been taken on. Cranberry, uh, in the right dose, in the right form, sets up a very useful effect by lessening the potential of bacteria to feed on the urinary tract wall. Uh, A simple way of looking at it is it tends to uh, interfere, interfere, with bacterial nourishment, if you like. And so in conjunction with buku, uveusi, in conjunction with those two herbs and cranberry, I believe that that is a very useful and proven way for helping many dear souls, particularly elderly people, particularly elderly women, who experience chronic, ongoing urinary tract infections. And that treatment is not expensive. It's very, very safe and very accessible. I know that if I was a sufferer, of chronic urinary tract infections, I'd be looking for those three herbs. So that is a particularly good example, again, of where complementary medicine is helping address conditions that may not be well managed uh, within the mainstream. Another one, of course, and perhaps a more popular spectrum of diseases in the muscular and skeletal system. Um, And we might take a look at that in our next (laughs) section, Dennis Stewart, giving you a bit of a break. Health naturally, and we're looking at complementary medicine 
today. And uh, Dennis Stewart, some people say that herbal medicine isn't scientific mm. and therefore it shouldn't be part of modern medicine. Um, what's your response to that? Change, before I actually take that topic up, and indeed I've said a little bit about it already, I was just thinking um, after having spoken about chronic urinary tract infections that probably the most common condition that we experience in practice is, as you would expect, arthritic and rheumatic conditions. And I think it's important for listeners to appreciate that whilst we have some good, excellent and necessary anti-inflammatories and other medications within the mainstream to help manage arthritic and rheumatic conditions, um, there are some very, very good options that should be sought, in my opinion, within complementary medicine, again, particularly herbal medications. And uh, it's worthwhile uh, mentioning some of the herbs that are being used today. Listeners would have heard me on this station talk about modern preparations of turmeric, which incorporate uh, curcumin, curcumin being the active principle or chemical within turmeric. Curcumin is a very competitive natural anti-inflammatory which in some particularly milder cases of arthritic conditions offers sufficient comfort uh, from the symptoms to warrant staying on that medication and not utilising some of the pharmaceuticals uh, that are frequently prescribed. So in the area of arthritic conditions, curcumin is, is, uh, is remarkable. And never forget um, the role of willow bark. Now, people might say, oh, willow bark is, is just aspirin. No, it's not. Willow bark and similar herbs uh, were, sub were herbs from which, if you like, salicylic acid uh, was originally derived. But every herb has a different uh, action other than just depending on its major active principle. Willow, ba Willow bark is making a comeback in herbal medicine, particularly in Europe, where it's been shown to be very, very competitive, particularly in back problems with some of the major medications that are prescribed. So don't overlook finished, modern, well-packaged, solid-form preparations of willow bark as a useful contributor also to what we'd refer to as the rheumatic and arthritic spectrum of diseases. Frequently, uh, curcumin and willow bark will come together in tablets or capsules and provide a very, very good option for management there. And, and even in, in the area associated with arthritis, something like, say, say gout, um, gout is a nasty condition I've experienced it myself but again, again uh, herbal medicine and nutrition come together to provide modern preparations based on the extract of cherry and there are finished uh, preparations in the marketplace today, very reliable very effective in fact interestingly in recent times had a general practitioner present to my rooms wanting um, to go on to a preparation for her recurrent gout and I was able to offer a preparation based on an extract of cherry. There is science for it and this leads into your final question. <laughs> the, the, the cynicism so that's I still directed to us, yes. <laughs> the, the, the fact that we're still seen to be unscientific. Look, I said earlier, and I'll finish on this note, I said earlier, that herbal medicine still is largely based on tradition, and I'm proud of that. I'm a great, uh, I have great regard for tradition of all forms. And in herbal medicine, the day we become embarrassed about our tradition, that's the day we won't exist. But having said that, in the modern era in which we live, uh, science is breaking open 
the secrets of many herbal medicines so that when we, for instance, a moment ago spoke of buku being useful in urinary tract infection, we now know as a result of modern phytochemistry that that action on urinary tract infection is based on that herb containing what's called a phytochemical, which has been shown to have a useful antiseptizing effect on the urinary system. I spoke about cherry a moment ago. We now know that cherry contains a group of substances which have an effect on reducing uric acid levels. So even though we're strongly traditional and we may never, ever be completely scientific, I dare to say that um, the application of science will uh, break open many more of our secrets and those reactionaries on the right wing that still call us unscientific, uh, shouldn't be out there practising, these people at the end of the day will see that our tradition is well-founded and has a good uh, good basis to it, and science will, will show that. Well, thank you very much, mm. Dennis Stewart, for this overview of complementary medicine on health naturally, and we look forward to your company again next Friday after the midday news for Health Naturally. For our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre on 2NURFM.